Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. No surprise to any of you that there are a lot of forces that seem to be shaping the future, particularly the future in your business. What we want to talk today is about what they are, and there are three in particular, and we want to ask why are they unique, and we want to ask how do they impact you as a leader, and what does it mean for you? And particularly, I want you to think about what it means for how you interact with your employees, with your customers, with your shareholders, of course with your suppliers, and with the larger community. And I think I'm going to preclude what my guest is going to say, in fact, how you interact with the world or don't interact with the world, as the case may be. So my guest today is Deborah Westfall, and she's the author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. Her career spans more than 30 years in virtually every continent. And in 1999, Alvin Toffler tapped her as one of the founding members of his consulting firm. She's a passionate humanist, a lifelong learner, and she has guided government and corporate leaders to challenge biases, ignite ideas, and build resilience for a secure future. What a great title. I love that end of it. Deborah, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Wanda. I'm so excited to be here. I love that. Challenge biases, ignite ideas, and build resilience. That's fabulous. All right. So, Deborah, I'm excited about this. You know, we've done a couple of podcasts in the last year around the future and around things or changes and around the skills and the implications for your career. And I still don't think we're talking enough about it because um, I don't think we're really stopping to say what ha- beyond what has happened to us just now, what is really driving those changes. So before I dive into that, though, why does this topic matter to you? Why, what's the question you've been trying to answer? Sure, I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's probably the influence of the Tofflers, uh, you know, in my, my life. But uh, the, the problem I think we're, we, we need to kind of step back and, and look at is um, this transition from industrial kind of mindset to our current knowledge mindset. And, um, you know, it took us a long time to, uh, over our history of, of business, to, to really create the business that we know today. And it grew up in the industrial age. And the models that we use, the processes that we use, a lot of the mindset that we use is for a very different time. And, you know, we haven't been in this knowledge age, information age for, for very long. It's only been a couple decades. And, you know, there's an acceleration that has happened in the last 20 years that really has not allowed us to step back and ask ourselves, the organizations and the businesses that we have, are they designed for a very different time? Are they designed for the knowledge age? We've been using the technology. We've been trying to keep up. We've been bringing it into our companies. But the issue that, um, you know, that I see is that we really haven't stand, stood back 
and said, is this how we would design it if we could clean sheet our business today? Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, the, the issue or the opportunity that needs to be addressed because I think for me, the bigger issue of what is really changing business is humanity. It's not technology. Technology is absolutely an accelerant, but technology has allowed us all to connect in ways that's very different than the past. And that's really kind of the key system, if you would, humanity that's changing business. Okay. All right. We're going to talk a lot more about that one. So I'm going to put that one on pause for a minute because I want to talk about this industrial mindset for just a moment. So I'm imagining that everybody sits there, goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't have an industrial mindset because we know that old, quote, command and control structured, ordered, et cetera, is not the thing that we need to be doing today. We, can, we would all espouse those words and I think intend to mean them. But like so many of our mental models, we don't pull it out and really question. We can change the labels, but we still keep the same behaviors. So when you think about the behaviors that exist today that are still remnants of the industrial model, what kind of things do you think about? So um, there's a lot. Uh, there's uh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of uh, examples, but one is um, I think very much uh, on probably everybody's uh, mind right now is how our workforce and um, and how we how we incentivize them, how we treat them, um, you know how people how people choose to give their time to, to companies or their talent to companies. And, and you, think about, um, you think about how, uh, you know, HR kind of works inside of, in general, inside of organizations. There are um, job descriptions, very specific. This is what you're going to do. There are positions. This is what you're allowed to do. There's, these are the decisions you can make. This is the level of decision you can make. Um, there is a structure there of who you can talk to, who you can't talk to. Um, even though, you know, we, we say we're flat and people can have access, are we really behaving in that manner? And, and I think people are feeling, um, they're feeling like they're not, all of their talents, experience, and their humanness, if you would, is not being used inside of organizations because of this very small kind of box that we put people in, which was needed back 50, 60 years ago, but it's not, it's not uh, what we need now. So I think that's an example. Okay. In the book, you give an example that I find particularly striking. It just, it grabs my attention on this one. And that is, you talk about when you're designing a factory and you're trying to make a factory an efficient and an effective mechanism. So just manufacturing, not anything beyond that. And that what, in order to be more efficient, you break the jobs down to small tasks, and then you train people to do those small tasks, and then you have to have a structure that oversees how all those tasks coordinate, link together, combine, make things happen, and that controls the process. 
all with very good intent. And that's the classic industrial, in fact, that was created in the Industrial Revolution. And if you stop and say that, we break the task down. Each person has a thing that they're supposed to do. Somewhere there's a management structure that should coordinate and control and today monitor risk. That's what I think we're still stuck with and that we can't figure out how not, how to get rid of. Even. Right. We still need to control risk. We still need some coordination. We can't have people running around like chaos. The tasks are too big, but we have struggles figuring out what else might work. So, Right. And, and I'm not saying, absolutely, you need some structure and you need controls and, and you need processes and you need all those things. But those, those controls, those processes, that structure should be more open to, to include different mindsets. Um, you know, it, it was interesting. A few years ago, uh, I was working on a uh, working with the National Academies for the Air Force Study Board, and you know, one of the issues that the Air Force is having is is really transitioning to this digital force, and they mm-hmm. talk about it when they went and, and data analysts are absolutely in need. When they went to their HR and they looked at how many people were quote unquote coded as data analysts, it was like 130 people in the whole Air Force. When they stood back and they said, but wait, how many people know how to program or to use data or how to analyze data or how to write applications? That opened up the aperture to thousands of people. In fact, it's a lot of the young force in the Air Force has this capability. So it's how you ask the question. It's how you view what you're doing. So just because you're not coded as an IT person, but you reside in HR or you reside in finance, you may have solutions or ideas to an IT problem. And so I think that is a behavior that um, opens the aperture, that behavior of asking, um, soliciting, um, looking beyond those structures and that, that process, if you would, to, to really get what it is that you need inside your organization. Yeah. I agree with you um, that it is time to rethink, and it's down to the cleverness it has been thus far of different leaders to ask those questions in different ways, just as you described with the Air Force. Some do that well, and some don't do that so well. And I think we've got to ask so many different questions about the work we do, the way we work, the way we control risk, the way we make decisions, the way we collaborate, that we haven't even scratched the surface on what those are. Now, just for self-interest, I have to tell you why I care about this so much. And that is, I believe that we have baked into our mindset this notion that the best expert is the best leader that I want to follow somebody who knows more because I'm going to learn from them and they know enough to make the right decisions. And therefore, how could you make the decisions if you don't know enough? But that is the old risk control manufacturing model that says I'm going to control the output. And those people are needed. Don't get me wrong. They're there. But there are a whole other ways of leading that's above and beyond just being driven by the expertise. So I think we're on coming at the same points, but from two very different vantage points. All right. 
One more general question, and then I want to dive deeper into the forces that you're seeing. You call the book Convergence. Why Convergence? Well, um, there are, we see um, so many different things kind of coming together and the boundaries, boundaries blurring. I think your example was really great. Uh, a leader being an expert, but how can that leader be an expert around information and cyber and people and risk right now the organization is segmented you've got your risk guy you've got your it guy you've got Mm -hmm. your your human your human person um you know that uh is is worrying about that and these problems these hard problems that we're faced with blur across those boundaries and so what what is ending up happening is all of that's being pushed up inside the organization for that senior leader to be that decision maker. And so when you step back and you look at it from a, a, from a convergence, and I use these three forces, which is humanity, technology, and the changing sole purpose of business, as they come together, um, we got we to gotta think about them in a balanced way, not an imbalanced way. Right. And, you know, and I use an analogy in the book that we can go into that kind of maybe help that idea. But but that's where where I stand as far as why convergence. Okay. Looking at those convergences so that you can see across the boundaries so that you can start to problem solve in a very different way. Okay. All right. And I think all that creates an inflection point for us. That's a very interesting moment in time. All right. So let's take these three forces that you write about and see, and I believe in so much. Technology, what's the sole purpose of business, and the human-centric. Let's take each of them. And I want to know, you know, tell me what you're seeing. Tell me what you think that's happening that's critical. Um, Tell me what's new about that. Give me an example so we understand what it, and then I want to ask, what does it mean? What does that mean for each of us? And I realize the three are coming together across boundaries, but for the moment, let's try to pull them apart a tiny bit. You want to start with technology? Uh, let's start with uh, humans. Let's okay. start with people. Let's start with, uh, because I think what is happening there is very, um, very interesting. And again, it's, it's fueled by technology. We are close to being two degree of freedom from everybody in, in the planet. And, and there's infrastructure that's being put up, you know, our satellite communications and cellular, that's going to allow all 8 billion of us to be able to connect at, at any given time. What that allows is for people to find each other in ways um, that they never were able to before. Um, like-minded people, people to share ideas, people to share beliefs and values mm-hmm. across any kind of uh, geographic, uh, you know, uh, boundaries here. And that is leading to a growth of um, activism or voicing of opinions, voicing of, of values making demands of, uh, you know, let's fix some of these things. And so, um, you know, an example is uh, a young, I think she's probably 18, 19 year old now, but uh, Greta Thunberg. And, you know, several years ago, she started with sitting out in the front of her school or from the, uh, I guess the, um, it was actually the, the, the government building protesting climate change. 
she was doing it on her own. Well, one thing led to another. Um, social media picked it up. Other uh, other forms of communication picked it up. It wasn't too long, uh, 12 months, 18 months, that she was really kind of leading a youth-driven, um, active movement to say, pay attention to climate. And, um, you know, we could have a long debate whether or not it was was motivated by other things or it really doesn't matter everybody knows who Greta is and in what what happened and since that time more and more people are paying more attention to what is happening with climate and in our environment um, so the power of people the people's voices that is the uh, you know in, in in making demands and the shift of values so that's the first Right. Technology. Technology is. Hang on. Let's hold. Let's hold on to the okay. centric thing for because I think there are a couple of things that you said there that are important. So, I'm old enough to remember back to 2000 when we had sort of an anti-global movement, kind of right around the late 90s and 2000, and we were against global brands, and it was all go local, and it was part of a climate effort, and it was part of a rebound for feeling like the world had gotten outside of our control. I, you know, a whole bunch of things. That went through two waves in the early 90s and then in 2000 and then crashed. We don't hear anything about the anti-globalization movement anymore. What we get are climate movement, and they're, they're probably related. To me, what's changed between 2000 and today is that it's now possible to find more people who share my values and find them fairly quickly and reinforce those values. In fact, maybe even make them in stronger or sharp contrast to what I felt before. So I think that finding of like-minded people and reinforcing those is a classic in-group behavior, reinforcing the values and the glue that holds us together. And the fact that we can now turn a movement into an instantaneous success or instantaneous world awareness with millions and millions of views when we couldn't do that back in 2000. So I think two things, one, the ability to find like-minded people and two, the ability to organize and spread a message in a viral way is different. I don't know. What's your view? I I think that's right. And I would add a third, which is um, a little bit of, of, of um, you can't control it it's not controllable and it does morph and it does change and um, you know we have we have a large conversation happening right now around what is the role of compassion Mm -hmm. in business and in government now you got to stop and and define compassion, and there are some groups that define it one way, and another group that defines it another way. But if you look at all the, you know, st- kind of step back and and look at what people are saying, and they're saying it from their perspective or their group's perspective. I want meaningful work. I want, you know, we should have diversity inclusion. Um, what about all of these different uh, ways that uh, people self-identify? You know, there's this discussion around, there's discussion around race. There is a discussion broadly happening around what is the role of compassion? Mm-hmm. And, and so what I find exciting is that, positive discourse 
helping to define, helping to really seek to understand what are these. In the past, you asked, well, what's different? In the past, somebody could control that narrative. Right now, it's very hard to control any narrative. Great, great. True, and it does shift and form, uh, transform. And if nothing else, if you just pay attention to the language that is used to describe something like the ways people self-identify, I can't keep track of it, and I actually work at keeping track of it. It's um, It changes rapidly as people have more voice in that one, just the language, okay? Right, right. All right. Do you, before we leave this one, do you have any great examples of people who have, you know, leaders that you've seen who've leaned into this human-centric, all the forces that we've just been talking about and made decisions to lead in a different way? You know, there's, um, as far as a, a human-centric organization where you could benchmark off of, um, I don't believe there's one yet. Um, there are pieces and parts that exist in, in a lot of businesses. I think there's um, a, a young entrepreneur that uh, runs a, a kind of fascinating little company, um, and uh, his name is Dan Price, and he started his company, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, Gravity Payments. It's a online credit card processing company. And um, why I think it's, a, it's an interesting example is he took, um, he's a young man, and, but he took a tremendous risk a few years ago by uh, kind of bucking the belief of how do people get compensated from CEO all the way down to the workers. He stepped back. It took him a couple years, but he flat-based all of his um, compensation across all employees to 70K. That included himself. And, um, you know, there's a a very interesting story that – you know, goes through what he did as well as going through the pandemic and then coming out on the other end. It will be seen like any company. Will he be successful? But the company has been in business now for over a decade and through some pretty hard times. And he's still, you know, they're still successful. His employees seem to, to really love him. His employees are part of the decision making as to what they, um, what they were going to do to survive through COVID-19. Um, you know, he, he seems to, to, to lead with um, that human-centric perspective. And um, so I think that's a, that's a very interesting example. Boy, does that make, I want to just make sure everybody really did understand the story that he baselined, meaning everybody in the company is going to get sort of the same salary, minimum 70000 a year, this is U.S. dollars, including himself, and then some additional pieces added onto that, I presume, but not dramatic. Because as I understand the story, he's not pulling in a million today. Right. Right. And it was very disruptive for him. I mean, it yeah. was, the story goes, it was a, an employee that called him out and said, hey, I hear what you're saying, but you're not walking the talk. And um, that's, you know, it took a lot of courage. Uh, it took a lot of courage and, and not only uh, from, the, from the inside, but the outside. He got chastised for that too. 
Yeah, I can imagine. I can well imagine. Um, And I I I recall the story from reading it in the book. One of the employees challenged him because he said, as an entry level here, I can't make basic end meets ends meet and you're trying to tell me that this is a human-centric place by humbug and it's boy would that be incredible if every employer stopped and said am i really giving you enough to have a decent living absolutely it's an interesting challenge talk about human-centric and talk about turning our models about the expertise and salary and pay and hierarchy on its end okay fair enough all right let's go to technology so what are you seeing in technology that you think is causing such a convergence? Well, uh, first of all, I think there's a, a lot of leaders that don't understand the technology yes. that they're trying to bring in. Um, technology is, um, you know, it's not a panacea. I think we're, we're they're, they're grabbing for straws. I think the um, in a lot of cases there are, people selling the technology into the company without really understanding what is it that we're really trying to do. And, um, and when I talk about the technology, I'm really talking about the information, communication, uh, machine learning, AI type of, uh, of technology here. We, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of hope that this is going to make us more efficient. We'll be smarter. We can make better decisions. Um, but the underpinning of, of a lot of this technology are algorithms that we don't know how they're written. We don't, <laughs> and they're written by humans with bias and right. and different belief systems. And so, till we understand that and really understand those algorithms, I think um, we should probably slow down a little bit on, on the amount of, of effort that we're putting in on, on technology. Um, in some cases, the technology's rolling over people. We haven't, we think it's going to make, um, you know, it's going to make people more efficient or replace the jobs that the people that are, are doing, but we really haven't understood, we don't really understand this man machine technology kind of team that, um, that needs to result in us bringing in this technology. Right. So um, I think it's, it's very fast. If we look at the rate of technology advancements, it moves you know, a hundred miles an hour compared to how we think about internally what we're doing with our company and what we're trying to do with our business, that's moving much slower. And then you've got regulation uh, from the outside, which is, you know, probably moving even slower, even slower. than that, right? right? So that's all causing the, the, uh, the, the a lot of conflict in understanding what what is this is this technology really good for us? And what is it that we're really trying to do with it? And yeah. so. Right. Jeff Schwartz talks about super teams. He's been a guest on this show too. So just mm-hmm. a shout out to him on that one. And he talks about the ways in which humans and machines combine to create a super team, to do something that you could not have done before in a faster, more efficient, more exciting, more fun, and allowing machines to take over the boring parts of your job, for example, as opposed to just letting it happen to you. And I think the risk is that it's too easy to let it happen to us as we sit and wait for decisions from hierarchy 
as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to decide what we're going to do it with ourselves. All right, Deborah, that I have to ask you about a great example on technology, but here's what I'm going to do. I think we should, this is a perfect place to take a break. And then we'll, when we come back, I want to talk about this third factor, which is the sole purpose of business. And then I want to try to integrate that into what you're seeing and what the implications of the three of these are converging to do. So my guest today is Deborah Westfall. The book's called Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. I think what's um, most powerful to me in the part that we've talked about is this notion of the human-centric. And I like that you wanted to start there. That makes a lot of sense. And that while we've been human-centric for a really long time, in many ways, our communication, our social media are allowing the world to be human-centric in a much different scale. So the fact I can find people who are similar to me, I can espouse those values and strengthen them, and I can go viral, and it changes and morphs is an example of what we mean there. Love it. We'll be right back. Deborah Westfall, Convergence is the book. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back to the show. With me today is Deborah Westfall. The book that we're talking about is Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. And Deborah has articulated three forces that she sees are questioning our current mental models of business. A force having to do with the human-centric factors that are changing around the world on all sorts of different topics and allowing peace to have a, people to have a stronger voice and greater activism in a whole new ways. We've talked about the technology, the fact that um, technology is changing faster than the business models of organizations can keep up with, and certainly faster than the regulations can keep up with, and probably faster than the employees can keep up with that. And I think many are just shoving technology in without really pausing to understand to enable us to do what, for what purpose, and in what ways. Right, And the third one has to do with changing the sole purpose of a business. But let me stay with the technology for a moment. Do you have an example of a company that you think is thinking about technology in a different way? Yeah, and so when I think about uh, about your question, I think you know, I think most companies have they're bringing in tons of technology to to communicate or to um, to understand their. Um, you know, their business from a, getting more data or around marketing, understanding people and people's behavior. I think for me, it is what are you, you know, is that technology and that insight, is it aligned to a greater purpose that your business is trying to achieve? And I think about a company called Patagonia, which is very much a purpose-driven company around the environment and and uh, the clothes that they sell and what they do and what they give back. And the technology, you know, they may not be the 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 highest uh, use of, of technology, but they are guiding their technology or using their technology to answer the questions around the environment so that they can make better decisions um, and strategies for their products or their, um, you know, what they're investing in, their research and development, if you would. So I think that to me is a, is a very interesting example because it's aligned to the higher purpose of the business versus just being more efficient and being more effective at what you're currently doing and just doing it better and faster and with more precision. Right. Am I correct in assuming or in saying that they've made a push in the last few years to encourage people actually to buy fewer clothes, oddly, for a company producing uh, clothing? And to recycle the clothing that they do have so that the fibers are reused and so on. Is that because of their understanding the data of the impact, their footprint on the environment? Do you know? Yes, absolutely. I think um, them and, uh, you know, Unilever is doing the same thing around, you know, some of their products to when they think about their uh, sustainability. um, And I think I won't get these numbers exactly uh, right, Right. but some 60% of, of Unilever's footprint, if you would, comes from their customers. And so, 
you know, how they're asking the questions, how do we get our customers to use less water when they shower? How can we have them use or, or shampoo their hair? So that data that they're using from the technology, it goes back into their research and, and development to say, what can we do with our shampoos? What can we do with our soaps? What can we do with our products to help our consumers and our customers use less water. And so it's the same thing with, with Patagonia. It's here's the environment, the, our environmental impact. Um, we're thinking about that all those stakeholders, if you would, of our, our business. So let's change our model here. Um, so I think that's a, those are great examples. great examples. All right. So again, we think about technology not as the replacer, but the technology is the enabler. How does the technology help us do what we're trying to do in a better way? In both of these, we talked about a sustainability initiative. Yeah. Okay. So let's come to your third factor, which is this thing about the sole purpose of business. So tell me what you're seeing there. You know, there's a there's a movement that's happened, and, and it's been there. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with Ed Freeman uh, a month ago or, or so, and this idea of stakeholder focus mm-hmm. has been out there for a long time. But you know, but a competing idea is shareholder primacy, and um, and so you know, we teach it in business school. We we, we optimize our businesses to maximize shareholder profit and to, to do that. So the notion of a human-centric organization takes this idea of stakeholder, your customers, your employees, suppliers, the communities that you operate, and opens the aperture even more to inhumanity. Because just as we talked about Unilever and Patagonia and so many other companies, they have a global imp- uh, footprint on on you know on the world, and so you can't just be community focused. You also need to be human global focused. Um, so this shift to be more stakeholder focused. Um, you know, we have the business roundtable, which were 200 some CEOs saying the sole business of the uh, sole purpose of business is no longer just stakeholders. We need to serve larger groups of, of people. You have things like conscious capitalism. You've got the, uh, the B Corp. Um, all of these initiatives saying it is no longer suitable for businesses just to serve themselves and in their shareholders. And so that's pretty exciting because now, um, you know, companies and businesses can be profitable and be responsible if they really think about that responsibility, not as kind of whitewashing it or just, you know, lip service, but truly making, um, making a difference and really understanding that. So that's the uh, kind of the third force and there's growing momentum. We saw that uh, just a few weeks yeah. ago with ExxonMobil, yeah. you know, if you're not going to pay attention to climate, you're not going to take that serious, then we're going to replace members of your board. And we're going to force you to take it serious. And so there is, there is a growing 
um, movement and growing momentum to demand more from, from business. That's right. It's, um, I know that there are some interesting uh, people in the business roundtable, some interesting business leaders, some ones you might not expect, and some pretty avid voices among those business leaders who are advocating for a shift in how we view things. Can you give me an example of beyond ExxonMobil of a company you see who are changing how they do business in favor of this stakeholder view as opposed to the shareholder profit view? Well, I think, um, yes. And there are, Unilever is, is one of them, right? It, um, and it's, we can stand back and criticize how far they've gone um, or how much uh, progress they've made, but they are actively trying to, to consider all of the aspects of their business, Everything okay. through the suppliers, their customers, um, you know, their the communities that they 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 operate and the the impact that they're they're making. So I think Unilever is um, I think it's it's a good example to to look at. I think the um, you know I think right now my concern would be is that we do get too complacent and say, well, we're doing all these things. It's working. Um, there was a really good article that came out of uh, Harvard Business Review uh, last month, and it was written by a gentleman named Kenneth Pucker, and it was called Overselling Sustainability Reporting. And his, uh, his data and his, per- his perspective is, over the last 20 years, there has been investment of, you know, $30 trillion worth of initiatives for corporate responsibility or sustainability or whatever you want to call it, this, this doing, doing good. Um, but in that same 20-year period, we've also increased our carbon emissions. We've also increased our environmental damage through things like, um, you know, disposable electronics or plastic or any of that kind of thing. And then we've also, you know, the, the increasing gap of CEO compensation just to the median workers. And so um, that's my concern about trying to give too much maybe credit to companies right now that are doing because I think there's a lot of companies that would say absolutely we're doing this Um, look at what we're doing but that's the problem I think is we're saying look what we're doing and we're not considering the outcome of what we're doing Mm -hmm. and um, and so you know I would like us to not pat ourselves on the back (laughs) I would like us to maybe shift our focus to actually really understanding that outcome of our effort and that's a very different perspective you know and that's different measurements and and that's taken a long view if you're making a decision today it's not about you know what I did this quarter you need to track what you're doing over years possibly decades to make sure that you're doing what you're what you're saying you're doing right right it almost reminds me uh, uh, or suggests the need to take a value chain analysis 
of, let's say, any decision I'm making about any product or any R&D or whatever, and look at the value chain out into the future, not in the past, but out into the future of where's the impact of that product and decision and where are the knock-on consequences. And now not just in the immediate community surrounding us, but in the world at large. So if there's plastic packaging, what's the impact of that around the world for the long run? It's easy to focus this on the environmental issues, but there are so many in terms of labor laws, in terms of supply chain analyses, in terms of pay. I mean, the the list of the impact could be huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, um, you know, if we, as the leaders that are out there, you know, kind of listening, I mean, where do you start? That's, if you try to, to try to take all that on, um, you know, while you're still trying to lead your, your business and not <laughs> let it, uh, you know, let it uh, go into the ground, it, it you, you'll become paralyzed, I think. And mm-hmm. so I think you have to start small. Um, you have to start small. You have to figure out what that, that small part of your, you know, that small corner of the problem is to, to start working on it and, and not try to attack all of it. Right. Right. You describe, I mean, I, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is this sounds like a very systemic view. So we're looking at the system and we're not just looking at a simple system. We're looking at a quite complex system. So my entire stakeholders, the entire world in some ways that I impact by the products and services that I sell, um, my employees and everything along with that one, plus all the humanity that I impact, plus the technology that's going to enable it. I think you describe it as a system of systems. Absolutely, yeah. You want to explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so um, this is probably my engineering background as to um, why I think about it. But, you know, our business system interacts with other systems, the geopolitical system, the the financial system. Um, You know, we understand our suppliers, and so there's a, a, a supplier system there. But what we probably don't, spend enough time thinking about is the human system and um, which is which is a little ironic actually because we have people inside our organizations and and uh, people are our customers and 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 so this human system is interacting and it's shifting and it's morphing and it's it, as we talked about earlier about shifting values and and uh, and expectations standing in a place of that human system and trying to understand how it interacts with all the other things that we're doing can, can actually help us understand some opportunities as well as some, some threats. And um, you don't have to manage it. It, it, you can't manage it, but you need to be aware of those, those interfaces and, um, and, 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 and then try to address where you can or where you should. Right. Okay, now I'm coming back to your question about it's easy to get paralyzed. So Peter Sange talked about this, you know, in the learning organization. I know you reference him in the book as well. Um, and we never understood how to think the way Peter Sange does. That was sort of one of the constant criticisms. Where do I go? I can't think about all of this. And if I start to think about all these systems of systems, and even the human system is one, it's just hard to understand, even of its own. It's easy to give up your hands and say, I'll stay with what I know, what I'm currently doing. 
So you said start small. Give me some examples about where you'd have business leaders start. Ask your employees. You know, I would, uh, I would start a dialogue with your employees. They came to the company for a greater desire, right? They, they, there, was a, there was a culture, a value that they, um, they started at that, that company. You know, very few people, employees, just come for the money. They come for the belief in that business, the belief in what they're doing. Um, and so tap in there. And, and, and start to ask those questions about what should we be doing? What would that little piece be? What could we possibly do? How should we think about this? Um, and then empower them to be a part of the solution. It, uh, you know, when we started this conversation, I agree. It's not the leaders in the, you know, that know everything. They can't possibly know everything. Ask your people that are, a part of your organization, and that includes your suppliers. I don't know how many times I went into to companies where you would ask the question, are you working this with your suppliers? Are you sharing your strategy so that they know where you're going, so that they can bring their, their thought leadership and, and their solutions to what you're trying to do? Oh, no, we, we don't do that. We, um, right. They don't need to know where we're going. Like, uh, how, why not? <laughs> it's, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to share proprietary information, but, but where you're going, you already write about it and you put it out there for the world to see. Share a little bit more with those that, uh, that are a part of your, your stakeholders, because they're there to make you successful, too, because the, their success yeah. is a part of your success. Right. One of my colleagues, who's also been a guest here, John Ott, um, is particularly fond of trying to solve really sticky problems. And he'll go into a community and bring together all of the people that are affected by the problem. So, for example, dealing with a hospital that's going to shut down because it's too expensive to continue to operate this affects the community, it affects the employees, it affects the government, it affects the social services, it affects the families served, it affects the families with patients. It, I mean, there's a lot of people that are affected right. by the potential of closing this hospital. And so what John will do is bring all those voices together at the table for a discussion, all right? I think that's similar to what you're advocating, is that we stop to look at the multitude of voices that are impacted by what we do as a company and listen, hear their perspectives, ask their opinions, get them engaged in helping us make a first step. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's in, and you hit the, the key word there is listen and, um, and listen with a, with a whole heart. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's a new kind of leader, I think, emerging or uh, because it's needed for the future. And, and this leader is not so much about what they do, but about who they are. And so they need to understand who they are and what beliefs they have and what biases they have and how do they make decisions and why do they make the decisions the way they, they do. And, um, you know, that, that can be very threatening. We can, we can listen to voices. We can hear the words that they say. But if we don't stand in that place 
um, if we feel threatened by what they're saying, progress can't be made. And so, you know, it takes a takes a vulnerability, if you would. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of um, courage um, mm-hmm. to be able to to really understand that this may not be what I believe is happening or how I would like it to turn out, but still say this is where we need to go. Yeah, that can be, I mean, you said courage and not feeling threatened. Sometimes you've got such angry voices in that extended community that it's often impossible to know where do we go from here. I mean, there there does seem to be that there are intractable problems that we cannot make a headway on because for a whole host of reasons. It's, it's gotten impossible to listen. So I can respect how difficult that could be for a leader. Absolutely. Okay. As you shift this forward to thinking about, so you just said this in terms of how it changes leaders, that there's a new leader emerging, one that's much, sure, much more sure about who they are, about their values, about their beliefs, about their biases, about why they make the decisions they make, sort of the driving mental models, if you will, for them. Um, do you have advice for people in developing their leadership? Well, I think it's the uh, the title of your podcast. They got it. Uh, they've got to get out of their comfort zone. It uh, to be to really tap into who you are um, and what you believe and and bring an authentic self is um, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And how do you do that? Um, put, your play, put yourself into situations that are uncomfortable. Um, you know, I do it with travel or um, challenging myself to do something I've never done before. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro a couple years ago, and I'm not a climber. I'm not a hiker. Um, I ran a marathon. I, I'm not a runner. Uh, I just signed up for salsa dancing, right? It's yeah. like, uh, you know, I'm not a dancer. I have no rhythm. Um, you know, it's, it's putting yourself in situations where you have to, um, you know, you're, 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 and then observe yourself. How are you dealing with this? And it's, you know, and it doesn't have to just be all physical. It's also mental. Talk mm-hmm. to people mm-hmm. that you don't always talk to. Read things that you don't always read. Ask people to give you feedback on what they see when they look at you. And, and um, you know, that, that puts you out of your comfort zone. And you're going to grow if you observe your reactions to that. Okay. All right. Well, given that I've made the last many years around how is it that you get out of your comfort zone, that's a pretty good starting point. I would say start with taking yourself out of your comfort zone, but there's a lot more I'd say about it as well. I think part of the cornerstone is you have to go back to where it is you believe you're adding value. And that means I have to look inward and say, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And then how is that adding value in the world that I am operating in? And am I okay with that or I want to change that? Or And then there's a lot more steps to it. Okay, so you just gave away the question I like to end with, which is what takes you out of your comfort zone? And you said you climbed Mount Kalimantara, you've done, um, but what is it? Is it just newest experiences that take you out of your comfort zone? It's, uh, it's new experiences and it's touching, uh, getting in touch with humanity. I really do think, you know, because I think if you, 
if you connect with people while you're in these situations, I think you can really start to answer the question of what is the value, as you just said, that you deliver. I think we, um, and that is a, that's a very deep, that's not something that you learn out of an MBA program. That's right. That's a that's a deeper analysis of yourself and probably a lifelong analysis. Deborah, sadly, we're out of time. We could keep talking about it. My guest today is Deborah Westfall. The book we've been talking about is Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. Three factors that are driving changes going forward that will change how we operate, how we lead, and how we make decisions. One is human-centric focus, two is technology, and three is the purpose of business rather uh, as the stakeholder, not just the shareholder. So, Deborah, thank you. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please like us on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to know more, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com. And otherwise, we'll see you next week for more wisdom in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 